Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through 3, 3. You know, growing up, um, I was a bit talkative. Okay. Um, in fact, um, I would often be offered money by my parents and my siblings if I would just be quiet for X number of minutes. Um, and generally, this would occur um, in car rides. We, we would take a lot of vacations, and we'd always drive to get from point A to, to, to point B. And so they would be always offering me money. And I don't think I ever collected because I could never remain quiet long enough. And probably one of my favorite catchphrases, our, our phrases were, uh, our questions, are we there yet? How many of you have ever um, asked that question or been asked that question, are we there yet? Raise your hand. All of us have done that, right? Why do we ask, are we there yet? You know, one thing, um, you know, I don't know about you, but when I am asked that question, the standard answer is 10 minutes, Okay, um, it doesn't matter if you're 10 hours from um, the destination. It's 10 minutes. I think that's what my parents always said. We're 10 minutes away, and and why? But once again, why do we ask that question? Why do kids ask, "Are we there yet?" Because our kids are excited about getting to their destination, aren't we? Aren't they? They're excited about getting to the adventure park or the vacation spot or or to their friend's house or grandma's house. Can you imagine what it would be like? If you and I lived our life in light of eternity with such anticipation, if we lived our life anticipating the return of Christ like we live our life anticipating getting to a certain destination, our, our theme this morning, our title is Living in Light of Eternity, Living in Anticipation of the Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. So, so again, we're reading this morning from 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 28. These are the words that we read. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our message point is this, get ready, because Jesus is coming back. You know, growing up, um, uh, you know, whenever I got into college, there was a, a song that I just absolutely loved. It was a song by Crystal Lewis called People Get Ready, and the lyrics of the opening of that song go like this, Lord, I'm ready now. I'm waiting for your triumphant return. This world has nothing for me. I find my peace and joy solely in you. I want the world to see you're alive and living well in me. Let me be part of it. 
of the harvest, for the days are few. So people get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be going home. People get ready. Jesus is coming to take from the world his own. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. Are you ready for his return? Man, I hope you are. I hope all of us are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Notice our first point this morning. As we live in light of eternity, let us live with confidence. You know, um, John begins verse 28 with these words, and now. Got a conjunction here. It's a division between what John has already said and what John is about to say. Last week we looked at John addressed um, kind of talked about the Antichrist and the Antichrist. The Antichrist, if you remember, will rise up during the last day. He will be the most despicable man the world has ever seen, and he'll lead the armies of the world into the battle of Armageddon. This is one person that will rise up in the last days. Now, these antichrists that that John talked about last week, these are false teachers that are present in our churches today or or individuals that have left the church to start their own churches, their own cults, or maybe even their own religions. These are, are people that are active in churches today, active in our world today. This is multiple people, not just one person. Antichrists have been present since the church began and Antichrist will be present up until the very end. Okay, so these are people that, that are active amongst us. So, so last week we looked at the Antichrist and the Antichrist. John spoke last week in 1 John 2, 18, that we are also living in the last hour. We are living in the last hour. We do not know when Jesus Christ is going to return, do we? We have no idea, but we know that his return is closer now than it's ever been. His return could very well happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 100 years from now. We just do not know. But what would happen if we lived as if his return were just 10 minutes away? What would happen if we lived our life as if heaven were just 10 minutes from now? I bet all of us would live our life a a little bit different than we are now, wouldn't we? Now John goes on in verse 28 of our focal passage this morning and says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So in light of Jesus' return being imminent, let us abide in him. This word abide means to rest in or to dwell. When I think about um, resting in Christ, when I think about a, a, an earthly picture of this, I think about um, a newborn baby that rests upon the chest of their parent. Or I think about a spouse who rests in the arm of their mate. That, that's the picture I get of abide. Scripture, um, Jesus spoke of us abiding in, in him in John 15, 4 through 5. Jesus wrote these words, or spoke these words, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he 
is it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We abide in Christ, just like Christ abides in us. That is a picture of a bona fide relationship, isn't it? Just as a branch is connected to the vine, you and I are connected to Jesus. We are connected to the Lord. As we looked at last week, when the Holy Spirit came upon us, he, uh, uh, he, he came and, uh, and abided in us. When the whole, with the Holy Spirit, we gain um, power. We looked at this last week, but the Holy Spirit is a gift that was given to us by the Lord to guide us, to comfort us, to teach us, to convict us, to fill us, to heal us, to empower us, to gift us, to intercede for us, to, and to allow us to bear good fruit. You know, um, most of you in this room are probably really good gardeners, okay? Um, my family, we are not. Okay, but we got a couple of planter boxes this year, and we planted some strawberries, and the first batch bit the dust, and so we got some more, so we're in the process of growing those, but we got some peppers and, and some tomatoes and things like that going. But here's what, I, what I've, uh, I've just kind of learned as uh, we've been growing. I've never grown anything before, so there's a lot for me to learn. But I do know this, that we're not going to have any tomatoes unless the, the vine is 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 connected to the to the to the to the 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 base of that of that trunk. You know, it's not going to happen. You and I are not going to bear fruit as believers unless we are connected to Jesus. And we get connected to Jesus at the moment of our salvation, right? John goes on to say this morning that Jesus is going to return. It's not a matter of if he returns, but when he returns. We read, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. His return is absolute. One day the clouds are going to roll back and Jesus is going to appear and he's going to take for, for, for himself, his own. This is going to happen. We don't know when, but we know it's going to happen. As we looked at Matthew 24, Jesus made it abundantly clear that he is going to return. He also made it abundantly clear that there's going to be, he, he, Scripture said there's going to be two people out in the field. One person is going to be taken away and the other is going to be left behind. person taken away is the person that's a believer in Jesus, the person that abides in Jesus, the person that has the Holy Spirit that came at the moment of their salvation. The person that is left behind is the person that has chosen not to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, we read these words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is going to return. That we can be certain of. Notice next, as we live in light of eternity, let us live without shame. In verse 28 again we read, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Let me ask you a question. If Christ were to return today, okay, we know that he's going he's to appear up um, in, in the heavenlies. But let's just say that Christ was to appear this morning and open up the doors of this church. If he was to walk through the doors of those, this church this morning, would you run to him as a child runs toward their daddy with arms outstretched, ready, ready for an embrace? 
Or would you sink in the seat that you are sitting in this morning, ashamed of the life that you have lived? You know, I will never forget, when I was a teenager, um, Brother Draper, who was my childhood pastor, um, was, was in the pulpit one Sunday morning. And he looked over toward the left section of the auditorium where um, we always sat as students. And he looked directly at me, and he asked us to be quiet. I want you to know right then, when he said that and called us out that morning, I just sank in my seat because I was ashamed of myself. Um, and, and, and not only um, did he call me out, but every eye just turned and just looked at me, okay? So if I was to call out Sarah Gilly this morning for talking, all of you would just turn and look at her and embarrass her, wouldn't you? But we're not going to do that this morning, so don't look over there at her in this back corner. But I just sank in my, in my seat. How many of you have ever gotten your hand stuck in the, in, in the candy jar, per se, or have ever been caught doing something that you know you should not have been doing? What happened at that moment? Man, you felt shame, didn't you? Man, you were embarrassed because you got caught up in, in, in whatever that sinful act might have been. There was great shame and embarrassment. When Jesus returns, there will be countless millions upon millions of people that will be left ashamed because of their sin, because of their unbelief, because of their unrepentant heart. Don't let that be you this morning. I pray that you will not be one of those that will be left ashamed. As we live in light of eternity, let us live righteously. That's our third point this morning. Let us be men and women who are found to be in right standing with God our Father. Men and women that live rightly before God and rightly before others. Let us put into practice righteousness. That's our first sub-point here. In verse 29, the first part of this verse, we read these words. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ become, become his children. They are born of him, born into his family. We've looked at this before, but John chapter 112, we read these words. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. At the moment of our salvation, we become a child of God. And, and with this, this new birth, comes a new life, right? Um, think about the moment of your salvation. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. At the moment of our salvation, we become a new person in Christ. We become a new person. It's a new birth. And with this new birth comes a new life. And with this new life, guess what? You know, as a follower of Jesus, what is our goal in life? It's to practice righteousness, to be more like Jesus, to look more like Jesus and to act more like Jesus, right? To do what God's Word commands us to do, right? You know, um, every person in this room knows my daughter, Caitlin. 
Okay, if you don't know her, you need to get to know her because she's a hoot, all right? Um, but she's just like me. She has self-diagnosed ADD, okay? She's a little scattered. Um, she can carry on about 20 different conversations at once. And she's back there laughing now because yesterday I told her multiple times, I said, Caitlin, this is why you're going to be in my sermon tomorrow, okay? Um, because she can literally have 20 different conversations going on at once. And she's that one that in the Up movie that sees squirrels. She's like sees squirrel and she's off on another tangent. That is my daughter. She, she is like me. There is no doubt about it. She is my child. She looks like me and she acts like me. Okay. And that's a good thing, Caitlin. I want you to know that. All right. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, that's a good thing. Okay. As children of God, we should clearly see and, and pursue a life like resemblance of our Father. We should be like Him, act like Him, do like Him, and as we see here, practice righteousness. With this new birth comes a new life, and with this new life, we seek to be more like Jesus every day. Notice um, next, there is evidence of this new birth and new life, and that is that we are given love. In verse, um, 1 John 3, 1a, we read, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Um, this love is given to us by God. Some of your translations say, Behold what manner of love. I love that, that translation. This love from the Father has been given to us. It has been bestowed upon us. This is the kind of love that is one-sided, very lopsided. Um, it is an unconditional love. It is a 1 John 3.16 love, an amazing love, an awe-inspiring love. It is a crazy love. We don't deserve this kind of love, yet Jesus gave us this kind of love at the moment um, of, of his death burial, and resurrection. Romans 5, 8 um, says this, but God shows his love. Some translations say, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as he showed us his love and, and showed us what unconditional love looks like, he has also called us to show that kind of love toward other people, hasn't he? First John 3.16 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus' love for us is a sacrificial kind of love, and the kind of love that we should demonstrate toward other people is a sacrificial love as well. Notice next, don't be surprised when this world does not like us. Okay, Jesus said this world is going to hate us. Don't be surprised at that. Notice here, we are strangers to the world. In verse um, 1b, we read, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Again, we should not be surprised that this world does not like us. We should not be surprised that this world, in fact, hates us. We should not be surprised at all the things that we're seeing 
right now in our society. We should not be surprised when Christians are told they can't worship and sing in church. We should not be surprised when, when governments mandate the closure of our churches or say that only 10 or 20 people can meet at any given time, even though an auditorium may seat hundreds if not thousands of people. We should not be surprised when, when the church is blamed for the spread of the coronavirus and not places like Walmart or protests or riots or, or those that are within our streets. This should not surprise us because the world and the demonic rulers of the world are against God. They're against the church. They are against the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are children of God. We are not children of this world. We should not look like this world or act like this world, but we should emulate the Lord Jesus Christ and look more and more like him every single day. We are strangers in this world. We're, we're told by Paul that we are aliens. What does that mean? That means that we are just temporary residents here. In the light of eternity, we are only here for a blip um, of, a, of a second. But, but we're going to spend eternity with the Father for, forever and ever and ever. So don't be surprised when people laugh at us, ridicule us, hate us, try to persecute us. Um, there's, there's places in our world today that experience great persecution because governments and people hate them so much. There are people that die every single day for their faith. Okay, yeah, we may be laughed at, we may be ridiculed, we may have people hurl insults at us, or we may be told we can't worship freely, but that's nothing in comparison what's happening in different parts of this world, okay? This is not our home. We're just temporary residents here. Notice, notice next. Um, in, in 1 John 3, 2, 8, we, we are told that we are children of God. We have been adopted by God. Beloved, we are God's children now. You and I are children of God. We are his, and no one will ever be able to take us from him. You know, several months ago, I read a story about a, a family that had adopted a son from China that was autistic. Um, and, and these people apparently were, um, were social media influencers, okay? They had their own channels. They had hundreds, if not thousands, of followers. They had sponsorship deals. They were making tons of money off every one of the videos that we, they were doing. They were documenting their life with their autistic son as well as the other children that they had as well. In fact, they also did like a, a, a GoFundMe or something like that and raised funds um, so that they could go to China to help in the process of adopting um, their son. Okay, um, well, because he was too much for them to handle, they gave up their son. In fact, they said this. They said he had been given permanently to another family for the sake of his emotional well-being. It's sad, tragic, but I want you to know this this morning, that you are a child of God. And there is no one, absolutely no one, if you are a believer in him and you've repented of your sins, that will be able to snatch you out of the Father's hands. You're not going to be re-gifted to another family because you are God's, you are his treasured possession. He, and, and in fact, he's going to love us even during the moments of our rebellion. 
moments when we're unlovable, moments when we mess up, moments when we run away. He is going to love us through thick and thin. His love for us will never be less than it is today, and it will never be more than it is today because his love for us is a perfect love. If you don't know Jesus this morning, what is keeping you from placing your faith and trust in him? What is keeping you from repenting of your sins and crying out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life? Know this, that when you become a child of God, when you become a believer of his, you shall be like him. You shall be like Jesus is our next sub-point. We read here in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You and I have no clue when Jesus Christ is going to return. We just know that we live in the last hour. We know that it's sooner now than it's ever been before. But we can be certain that he is going to appear. And when he appears, Scripture says we are going to be made like him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. What are we going to be? Should transform how we, how you and I live our lives today. We are not yet who we will be. We are a work in progress, but one day we will be like him. One day those trumpets are going to sound and we're going to be called home and we're going to be made to be in the spitting image of our Father, of our Heavenly Father. And Romans 8.29 says that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Every moment of every day as a follower of Jesus, we are being conformed in his image. Notice our final point. As we live in light of eternity, let us live purely. In verse 3 we read, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In anticipation of the glorious return of the Lord, this should motivate us towards purity, towards right living. You know, most of us in this room um, dated our spouse before we married them. I don't know of anybody in this room that were a part of a prearranged marriage. Anybody in here part of a prearranged marriage? Okay, nobody in this room. So you dated your spouse before you actually married them. And hopefully, when you went on that first, second, and hopefully every date since, you cleaned up a little bit. Hopefully, Ken, you used a little soap before you took Dion out on that first date, kind of threw some, you know, some, some cologne on, put some deodorant on, but you got cleaned up before you went out on that date. Why did you do that? Man, why did you do that, Jim? Why did you get cleaned up before you went on that first date? Because you wanted to look good, you wanted to spell good, and you wanted to make a good impression on your future wife. Your future wife. Well, here's a picture that we get this morning with this passage of Scripture, Okay. When we were dating our spouse, and hopefully even now as we date them, um, we're get, we get ready for that date. As we anticipate the glorious return of Jesus Christ, we should be getting ourselves ready every single day. We should be cleaning our act up. We should be cleaning ourselves up. We should be seeking to live purely and to practice righteousness, and, and, and we're getting ourselves cleaned up because Jesus Christ is going to return again. 
In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we read these words. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Daniel Aiken shares, hope for the future will produce holiness in the present. Be heavenly minded. It is the only way to be of any earthly good. You and I should be getting ourselves ready every single day for the return of Jesus Christ. We should be living our lives as if Jesus' return were just 10 minutes away. If, if I was dating my wife um, and we lived in two separate houses and, and you know, today's modern day and everything and, and you date differently. So if she was coming to my house to pick me up to go out on a date, I'm going to make sure that I'm ready before she gets there, um, before she knocks on that door and says, are you ready to go? There's going to come a time when Jesus is, 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 is not going to knock on the door. He's just going to show up. And for those that are ready, he's going to take home with him. Are you ready for that day? You know, one of my favorite hymns is, is Blessed Assurance. I love this hymn because it was written by Fanny Crosby, who's a, a lady that went blind um, at a very, very young age. So she never had physical sight that she could ever recall. But she wrote hymns with such um, clarity as if she really could see. She may not have had physical eyes, but she had spiritual eyes. And notice the words that she wrote with blessed assurance. Their lyrics are, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I love that. Watching and waiting, looking above. You and I should live our lives in light of eternity as if Jesus Christ's return is imminent. We should be watching and waiting for those clouds to roll back and for Jesus to call us home. You know, we don't know when that's going to happen. Once again, it could very well be 10 minutes from now, 10 hours from now, 10 days from now or a 1,000 years from now. We do not know, but what we do know is one day all of us in this room are going to take our final breath on this side of eternity unless Jesus Christ returns before then and all of us will stand before Jesus and have to give an account for the life that we lived. If Jesus were to return today and you have to give an account for your sins, would you be ready? If not, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and to cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And when you do that, you will experience this new birth and this new life. And with this new life, you know what? Man, you're going to be a world changer for Jesus. Let's stand together. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. 
And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, I'm going to be standing here over by the side, and I'd love to share with you more of how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the, the truth of your word and the promise within your word that it's not a matter of if you are going to return, but when you are going to return. And Lord, help all of us in this room live in light of eternity. Live in great anticipation as if your return were imminent. Father, I know in a room this size that there may be someone here that is yet to repent of their sins and cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. If they were to die today, they don't know where they'd spend eternity. And I pray that this morning, before they leave this place, that they will get that nailed down and they will know for certain that they are your child. Father, move now during this time of invitation. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to be standing over here. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. Um, after the service, you can find me as well. I'd love to share with you more. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting the church a while, and the Lord is leading you to make friendship your church home. You come and, and do that. During this time of invitation, you come if you need to. Otherwise, let's sing this great hymn, Blessed Assurance.